Well, let me just say this. As we get started this morning, uh, I just want to let you know that I, I have something in my life. There are many things in my life that I'm fixated on. But there's something in life that I am really fixated on. And it's kind of been amplified this last couple of days because uh, I, I've spent some time uh, in the hospitals the last couple of days. And, and again, I believe I have what is an addictive personality. So uh, that means that there are things that, you know, when I, when I think about those things, I just get fixated on those things. And, and, and I'm just going to have to tell you, because I've been in the hospitals the last couple of days, one of the things that I'm fixated on, especially right now, is hand sanitizer. I mean, uh, I've just, I, I don't love visiting people in the hospital. As a matter of fact, unless it's just almost, just ultimately, I try not to go because with all the sickness that we've experienced the last couple of years, I don't want to do anything that might jeopardize somebody else. So when I go to the hospital, I've been to Centennial, not Centennial, I've been to Summit the last couple of days, and I've been to St. Thomas Midtown. I've been in and out, and I'm going to go just right after the church is over today. But uh, I kind of, I, I just love going into a hospital room, not love going into a hospital room, but I, when I go into a hospital room, I love to hit that can. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That hand sanitizer? I just love it. I'm fixated on sanitizer and hand sanitizer so much so that if you walk up here right now, uh, and again, I'm not saying anything about myself, but I always carry hand sanitizer with me, and I've had a hard time saying hand sanitizer, and I'm going to allude to that in just a moment, uh, all morning long. But I, I carry a bag with me, uh, you know, uh, and on my bag are two things of hand sanitizer. I just love it. And, and again, since we've had to deal with COVID the last couple of years, I guess you could say that my fixation with having hand sanitizer with me at all times, it's absolutely gotten worse. And let me just say, the other day I was in Nashville in one of the hospitals, and, and in that hospital, uh, they had one of those really fancy dispensers for hand sanitizer. And it, 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 it's the kind that when you put your hand underneath it, that it lights up and then it makes a noise when the sanitizer falls in your hand. And, and can I just be honest with you this morning? When it made that noise, it just made me feel clean. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but it just made me feel like I was cleaner because it had dispensed the hand sanitizer in my hand, and then it made this noise like, and, I, and just immediately I felt cleaner. Now, here's what's so funny about the whole idea of hand sanitizer. Even though I don't know what's in that stuff, even though I don't know what it really is, even though I don't know if it actually does kill 99.9% .9 of germs on contact, it just makes me feel better. Mentally, when I have that on my hands, it makes me feel clean. And again, I was thinking about this the other day, and here's what I thought. Why don't we call it hand sanitizer? Because it goes on our hands. So why don't we just shorten it up and call it sanitizer? I mean, right? I mean, see, I have a hard time saying hand sanitizer, so let's just call it what it is. Let's just call it sanitizer because that's what we put on our hands. But then the other day I was talking with a friend of mine who supplied me with some information, and here's what he said. 
He said, Randy, do you know that most of the germs, and I'm not a medical professional. I know we have one or two in this audience right now. I'm not a medical professional, but here's what they said. Do you know that most of the germs that enter your body, they actually enter through your nose? So that makes sense why Dr. Fauci and other people have told us to make sure and wash our hands so that we don't touch our nose and our mouth with our dirty hands or your eyes because you don't want to get infected with those germs that might be on your hands. So don't touch your mouth, don't touch your nose, don't touch your eyes so that you don't get infected. And that made me think. Look here. <laughs> Sorry. It just made me think. If germs are coming in through my nose, wouldn't it make sense that we just put the hand sanitizer around our nose? I mean, th I mean, think about it. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't it be easier if we just put the hand sanitizer directly around my nose? I mean, the best thing I could do is kind of be like Star Wars, you know what I'm saying? And create this force field around my nose. If that's where the germs are going to come in, uh, and I thought about it because I'm a big Star Wars fan. As a matter of fact, there's probably a Star Wars view, what, what they call it when, you, when they play them all day long, you know, I mean, there's probably one of those this weekend because there is every holiday weekend, but I thought about, you know, why don't I just treat my head like the Death Star and just cover it in hand sanitizer and put that invisible force field around the enemy, uh, so I, around my head so that I can keep the enemy out. I mean, why not, why not do that? Why not do the same thing with your nose and use hand sanitizer on your nose? Because you can call me crazy. I mean, you can call me crazy. You can call me any number of things. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. I don't want to catch what you have. Amen? I don't want to catch what you have, and you don't want to catch what I have. I love you. I will shake your hand. I will pat your back. I, 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 will, I, will, you know, I don't have a problem touching other people. But when I'm done, I'm going to come back to the front row of this church, and I'm going to pick up that bottle of hand sanitizer, and I'm going to sanitize my hands. Because if you walk up here after the service, you will see that I have with me at all times on my bag a couple of things of hand sanitizer, and I also have a bottle of hand sanitizer. I'll touch you. I have no problem with that. I have no problem shaking your hands. But every time I get through shaking hands, I wash my hands or I sanitize my hands. Now, let me allude to something else. Julio has started to reincorporate something that we quit doing a little while back. And I know it makes some of you very uncomfortable. He started asking you again to greet people, to shake people's hands, to pat people on the back, to get to know the people that are in worship with you. And again, here's the thing. I know it makes some of you uncomfortable. It makes some of you so uncomfortable that some of you have actually told me, I'm not going to come to the service until after that part of the service because I don't want to have to touch someone. And let me just say this. You don't have to touch someone. Just be nice to someone. Amen. Because if there's anything that our world needs right now, come on, people, our world needs a little bit of niceness. Is that not right? I mean, we need to be nice to each other. Now, here's the thing. My fear of catching whatever it is that you have 
Let me just tell you, my fear of catching what you have doesn't come close to a fear that people had in the time of Jesus. Because in the time of Jesus, there was something called leprosy. In that culture at that time, people had this very distinct fear of being exposed to people who had leprosy. And leprosy was this skin disease, and it wasn't just a disease. It was a disease that had both religious and also social implications. And if you were one of those people who had leprosy, it immediately made you a social outcast. In many ways, here's the thing the Bible tells us. Leprosy was a symbol of sin because the Israelites believed that if you had leprosy, it was like God had cursed you. God had cursed you because of the sins that you had committed, and he had cursed you with leprosy. Leprosy was horrible, and again, in that culture, and even today, it was highly contagious. So if you had leprosy, if you were one of those people, you were actually taken and you were moved and removed from society. It didn't matter what your family situation was, whether you were married or not, whether you had kids or not. If you were somebody with leprosy, you were banished and moved away to a leper colony. It was a weird deal if you had leprosy because even though you were alive, in that culture, you were considered dead. You were breathing. You were walking. You were talking. But as a leper to the rest of the world, you didn't exist. Anyone who had leprosy had completely lost their life as they knew it. So this morning, I, I want us to look at a verse that is found in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and I know this is going to seem like a weird place to start. But it's this verse in the, in the book of Matthew that gives great insight to what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and not just talking about this morning, what we're probably going to be talking about the next several weeks. And, and here it is. Look at Matthew 8. It's in the worship guide if you picked up a worship guide. Uh, if not, you can go to facebook.com forward slash Crossroads Lebanon. You'll find the scripture there. And if not, you can just follow along with me. I'll read it slow enough so you can understand it. Matthew 8, verse 1. Matthew records it this way. He says, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Now, now think about that this morning because, again, that, that, that to you might be a weird verse for a pastor to pick out and to start a message with. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. And, 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 re, and again, the thing I'm trying to draw your attention to is this. Why would people be following Jesus down a mountainside? I mean, what had Jesus done that attracted such a large crowd that this crowd said, you know, I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. I'm going to follow him down the mountainside because of the things that he said. And here's the thing I want you to focus on this morning, because I think what happened before we read what we read, the things that happened before that, that's the thing that's really important. Because we just read from Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, but if you go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, right before what we just read, 
That's the place where we find Jesus delivering what is arguably the most famous sermon ever given by anyone at any time. And it's something that most of us here know. It's something called the Sermon on the Mount. And the message of that sermon that day that those people who were following Jesus down the mountain, the message that they heard from that sermon was so important that that message and what was said that day is the message that changed everything for everyone. Because you see, at first glance, if we take the time to read the details of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it's almost going to be like we go, wait, time, time out. Jesus, the things that you have delivered in the Sermon on the Mount, they're impossible. The things that you have said that we're supposed to do, those things are just impossible to do. So this morning, I just want you to follow along. I'm just going to take a few examples of what I mean. So I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 5. Again, this is, what, so, this is just some of what Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, then you are subject to judgment. But I say, again, Jesus is talking, delivering this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. But I say... If you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Now think about that. And, and let's look further. Jesus said, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus was saying to these people who are following him down the mountainside. And you start to realize that as Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount, he's not pulling any punches, is he? Look at verses 38 and 39 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, Offer them the other cheek also. I mean, Jesus has gotten in the SUV of Scripture and has his foot on the accelerator. And he's not about to hit the brake. I mean, Jesus is, is mowing these people down, spiritually speaking, because this is not what they were expecting to hear from him. He's not going to put on the brake. I mean, again, he's going for broke, and there's even more. Look at verses 43 and 44 of Matthew chapter 5. Here's what Jesus said. He said, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, put yourself in that crowd and listen and, and think of yourself as one of the people who were listening to what Jesus had to say to that, that day. I mean, can you just imagine the impossibilities that were rising up in those people's hearts and minds that day? As here they are, seated in this natural amphitheater, on the hillside just above the Sea of Galilee, listening to Jesus say all of these things 
that they're supposed to do. But, but let's keep going. L- look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Again, this is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? See, that one really got me. I mean, that, 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 that one really gets me. But, but look, at the, look at the last one. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, here's the thing about the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus issues this crazy string of statements that I think all of us here in this room, all those watching and listening online, we can see those things are impossible. Those things are impossible for me to even think about or naturally to be able to do any of those things on a daily basis. There's no way I could keep or do the things that Jesus tells me in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, think about it that afternoon on the hillside of the Sea of Galilee. There wasn't anyone listening to Jesus that afternoon who had their iPhone out, who opened up their Twitter account, and said, you know what, hashtag, I got this, hashtag, nailed it, hashtag, no problem to the things that Jesus said. There was nobody who said, you know what, I can do everything that Jesus is talking about. I mean, think about it. I could go through all of the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, And as I do, and as you hear those things, it just leaves you kind of reeling there, sitting there thinking, what's the point? What's the point, Jesus? There's no way I could follow the things that you've asked me to do. There's no way I could live up to the things that you've said. There's simply no way. So what's the point? As a matter of fact, there are some of you here who just heard some of the words that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And you, like those people on that hillside that morning yourself, you wonder, what's the the point? Well, I can tell you the point. Because the message and the point of the Sermon on the Mount is really the same message And the whole point of the Bible. See, the point that Jesus was making in the Sermon on the Mount was this. You need him. We all need Jesus. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount, and that's the point of Scripture. The point of the Sermon on the Mount was just to remind people that they're like a leper. To remind you and to remind me that we're all unclean. And there's nothing that we can do in our own power that would ever be able 
to make us clean. See, the Sermon on the Mount was just a reminder to all of those people listening and to all those people listening right now that we all need Jesus to redo us, to remake us, to recreate us, to repair us. And, and I really kind of thought about this after the message that I did on Father's Day. Because if you were here on Father's Day, then you know that I said that there are many of us who need God to do what only God can do. We need God to repair us, to recreate us, to remake us. Specifically on that day, we said we need God to pour into us those things that our fathers didn't give us. In essence, what we really need is a redo. You see, the point of the message that day on the Sermon on the Mount, it wasn't that Jesus wanted all of those people who listened to him deliver the Sermon on the Mount to then follow him down the mountainside and do all the things that he said so that they would be perfect. That wasn't the point of the Sermon on the Mount. The point of the message that day was just the opposite of that. The point that Jesus was making on that day as he delivered the, Son of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount was simply the idea that, here, I want you to know, people, you can't follow me down this mountainside and be perfect. And since you can't be perfect, the point of the message that Jesus was making was this, since you can't be perfect, Jesus was telling those people, I'll be perfect for you. The thing that Jesus was saying to those people that day was, since you can't be clean on your own, I'll be clean for you. The underlying point of the message as he delivers the Sermon on the Mount wasn't that Jesus wanted those people to try harder. But the bottom line of that message was that all of those people and all of us, we need to find Jesus. So let's go back to where we started. And I want you to visualize this. You have all these people who have heard Jesus speak this amazing message. And honestly, because of the impossibilities that Jesus had, had delivered to them, their heads and their hearts are probably spinning. But now, even though their hearts and heads are spinning, they're, they're following Jesus down the mountain. Look at what happens next. Here's what Matthew writes. As Jesus and these people are coming down the mountain, Matthew said, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now think about this. Jesus has delivered arguably the most impactful sermon that's ever been delivered. And this crowd of people are following him down the mountain. And a man with leprosy approaches him. And this crowd probably stopped in their tracks, maybe even moved back a little bit. Because in that culture, they would have gasped at anybody with leprosy who is actually approaching Jesus. 
because the man who was a leper is actually breaking the law, even coming in contact with other people. And all of these people following Jesus, they see this man with leprosy, and and there's no doubt in my mind that they freak out. But Jesus doesn't. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out. Look, 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 look. Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said. Be healed. I'm willing, he said. Be healed. And immediately, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Now, now think about this. There's something that I just said and read from Scripture that I think we need to really kind of focus on. It says that Jesus touched him and he was healed. Look, look, look. We all know that Jesus did not have to touch him to heal him. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't have to touch him to heal him. But Jesus knows there's a crowd of people following him down the mountainside. And he knows that this entire crowd is wondering what he's doing. Because in that culture, it was forbidden for you to touch a leper. Because why? The leper is unclean. And according to the, New, to the Old Testament, when something ceremonially, ceremonially unclean was touched by something clean, that means that the clean thing becomes unclean. It's a lot like clean hands, right? If you have clean hands and you touch something dirty, what happens? Your clean hands become dirty. The dirty object doesn't become clean, does it? But when Jesus touches the leper, the leper is instantly healed. And for the first time that we know of in history, something clean has made something that was unclean become clean again. Jesus flipped the script. Jesus makes something happen that has never happened in history before. Because in that moment, as Jesus touched the leper and the leper is instantly healed, Jesus changes the dynamic. Jesus changes everything. He changes everything because, listen, Jesus doesn't blink at evil. Sickness doesn't scare him. Sin has no power over him. Darkness can't touch the light of Jesus. And Jesus goes to the leper and he touches him because that's what the leper needed. Jesus hands out redos 
like candy. And here's what I believe. I believe the leper in this story is symbolic of every one of us in this room this morning. Because that leper had an external disease. Leprosy. And that leprosy was eating him alive. We have an internal disease called sin. And you're like me. You're dying. And the thing that you need is you need to be given life. And the leper knows. He says, he says I have no other option. So he turns to Jesus, even though he's breaking the law. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. You can restore me. You can recreate me. You can remake me. Jesus, if you're willing, you can redo me. You can give me the thing that I need. And it's those next few words that are spoken by Jesus. They're some of the most beautiful words that Jesus ever said, ever spoken by Jesus. Jesus said to the man with leprosy, I am willing. And do you realize those are the words that Jesus is saying to you today? On the third day of July of 2022, I'm willing. I see your shame. I see your guilt. I'm willing. I'm willing and I'm able to cleanse you and to restore you. I can provide the, the redo that you need. I can repair you. I can remake you. I can reparent you. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, whatever it is you need, I can redo you. And, and so we wonder, what's required? What's required for me to make that happen in my life? You know what's required for you and for me? It's, it's very simple. It's just surrender. Just surrender. You just need to, to, to surrender yourself to Jesus and let Jesus do in your life what only he can do because he tells you like he tells the leper, I'm willing. In the Old Testament, there's a very unique story, 2 Kings chapter 5, about a guy named Naaman. Because Naaman was like the guy that we just talked about in this story and we find in Matthew. Naaman was a guy who also had leprosy. But interestingly enough, through the prophet Elisha, Naaman was instructed by God to go dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. The Jordan River, remember we talked about that last week. And on the seventh time, when he came up out of the water, 
he would be healed. Now, now look right here. Naaman was given specific instructions. Go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman did exactly what he was supposed to do. And here's the thing I think is important for us. That's the same thing that God requires us to do. God requires us to do exactly what he says. Not roughly what he says. See, through the prophet Elisha, God gave Naaman exactly what he needed to do. He needed to go dip himself in the water. Now think about this and think about last week's message. Because when you think about the whole idea of water and what it means in Scripture, I mean, water has always been this very unique symbol for God's people. I talked about it last week. In the Old Testament, when somebody wanted to convert themselves to Judaism, there were all kind of hoops that they had to jump through. But that final step that they had to jump into was water. It was baptism. If you were Gentile and you wanted to become Jewish, you had to complete the list of things that, that, that the scribe had given you. But the last thing that you were to do was you were simply to strip off all your clothes. All of your clothes. And you went down into this cistern of water, naked. A person would dip themselves under the water, making sure they were fully immersed, making sure that not one ounce of their flesh was still dry. So in a sense, here's what you were doing. You were washing away your Gentileness. The Gentile in you died when you went under the water. And when you came out from the water, a new person with a new name and a new identity was born the moment he or she came out of that water. That culture knew baptism. They didn't know it as baptism initially. But see, then this guy named John, John the washer, John the washing man, John the Baptist, comes along and John adopts this idea as he baptizes people in the Jordan River but John's baptism is a little different because John's baptism is a baptism of repentance see baptism, baptism is for anyone who's willing to come to God. That's who it's for. Anybody who's willing to come to God as broken as they are, confessing their inability, and then receiving the gift of life that the Father has in Jesus Christ. Because those who were being baptized or have been baptized, 
See, the actual words from the heart of God is that those people are my beloved. And baptism is just a symbol of commitment. It's a seal and a reminder. It's a public declaration of an inward reality that says, now I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 6, verse 4. It says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I'm really taking today as an opportunity to follow up on what we talked about last week. Because in the month of July, on July 31st, we're going to offer baptism again in both of our services. And if you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have never been baptized, then I'm going to ask you to take that step. I've given you a month to plan. Make that commitment. Take that step if you haven't. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus in your heart, then we want you to take that next and all-important step. Because that is exactly what Jesus asked us to do. I'm telling you, when you watch the dreams and see the drama of redemption in a human life, there's nothing in the world like seeing that. So if you're ready next, uh, on the 31st, in one of our two services, 8.30 or 10, that I truly want you to take that step. And I want to say something I said last week. Because I have many people who come to me and they question because there are other churches and other denominations who strongly speak against it. If you know maybe in junior high or high school that you were baptized and you really have not made that commitment to Jesus Christ, and maybe you made it later, I strongly encourage you to again take the step of baptism. Because maybe when you did it, you did it under pressure from your peers or from somebody else or from a denomination or from a church leader. And you know in your heart of hearts that you had not really made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But if since then you have committed your life to Christ and you haven't taken that all-important step of baptism, I strongly want to encourage you to do that on July 31st at 8.30 or at 10. Because that's not roughly what God asks you to do. That's exactly what he asks you to do. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, we thank you for the beauty and the transparency of Scripture that we can see and know and understand that we can rightly divide the word of truth. That, God, we can listen to your Holy Spirit and that we can be obedient to what you've called us to do. God, my hope and my prayer this morning is that most of us, all of us, realize 
that there is some area of our lives where we need your help. We need that thing we call a redo. We need a, a recreation. We need you to remake us, to reparent us, to repair us. So God, in what area of our life that needs to happen, we just pray by your spirit that it would happen. That we begin to see you as our heavenly father who goes before us and prepares the way for us. And God, for those who haven't taken that all-important step of baptism, my prayer is that in the coming couple of weeks is that your spirit will begin to stir them and to help them understand that's exactly what you call them to do, to make their profession of faith public by being baptized. God, do what you can only do as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand together one more time? Strength is in you, Lord. And all my 
Sing it together. Oh. 